there is one thing more satisfying than watching a really good film in the cinema than is watching a really good documentary film in the cinema. And through the work of one company, this is about to get a whole lot easier for people living in London. The new exclusively documentary screen at Curzon Bloomsbury is set to open to great fanfare on the 27th of March, so I stand with the charming Elizabeth Wood, the director of Doghouse, the company that is making this happen. I started by asking her a little bit about her background and how she got to her current role. I had my own production company uh, from the beginning of Channel 4, and I had it for 20 years. Wow. Um, but then uh, I was asked to teach, and something happened in my own life, so my production company was kind of put on hold for a while. And uh, I was asked to teach at the Royal College of Art and introduce a documentary strand. And I had actually taught, sounds very grand, but it wasn't at Harvard a long time before that. I was that does sound grand. Well, it was the undergraduates, and it was the undergraduates who really um, dropped out, who came to the Visual Arts Centre. But they were very creative, it was great. So I did that for a year. And then um, I was in production, I came back to England, was in production. And then I taught at the Royal College, and I loved it. I just loved teaching, especially postgraduate students, you know, whatever. And luckily I was invited to teach out at the National Film School in the documentary department with Dick Fontaine. But um, about 2001, I realised that I was graduating these creme de la creme postgraduates who'd been spending two years developing their personal voice and going off to make documentaries, and they couldn't see any. Because television, you know, documentary on television had slowly but surely not only squeezed commissions for first-time filmmakers, documentary makers, but also international documentaries have been shifted from nine o'clock on a Thursday to on BBC Two to the cable channels to BBC Four and uh, Channel Four, um, more four. And my students didn't even have those cable channels though, and they couldn't afford to go to festivals. So I thought this is crazy because that's what independent creative documentaries, what they must keep seeing because it's pretty lonely out there, uh, especially for documentary makers because you know you don't have a big crew etc. So I set up Doghouse with um, Sarah Payton, who was a student who graduated a few years before. And I went around London trying to persuade cinemas to give us a slot to show documentary. I taught a course out at the National Film School called Summer Docs to pay for the office and some expenses. And then <coughs> about four years ago, along came an angel um, called Tony Tabatsnik of the Bertha Foundation who said he wanted to start a documentary centre, he wanted to develop the idea, and we kicked off with funding from him, and we've grown the brand ever since, because his funding allowed me to actually pay someone, and um, to also get what you call added value, so we could get Q&As, get directors over, and that's what we've been doing for the last four years. Um, and as part of that, the Bertha Foundation has invested in Curzon Cinemas, and here we are with a cinema of our own. Well, yeah, a screen, a screen. So, so, yeah, I'd obviously like to talk about what's kind of coming up next. Can I just ask you personally, why, why do you personally love documentaries? Is there a particular, I know it's a very vague question, but is there something that you feel documentaries can provide that fiction can't? Is it, what's your thoughts on documentaries? Well, it's my passion, um, because I believe it's the way we discover world and um, I think that 
you know, factual television tends to feed an audience what it expects and independent international documentary is the way that we discover in depth about other societies and so, that so was there a type of us. was there a type of film that you were trying to show like in the early days any kind of particular type of documentary or were you just trying to find interesting films that interested you interested you personally or did you have a mission statement <laughs> well, my mission statement is, is twofold, really. One is to show good international documentaries to filmmakers, and especially to encourage filmmakers. I mean, we do lots of events which are educational, like uh, masterclasses, etc., etc. But also to develop an audience. Second reason, most important reason, that we want people to come to the cinema to be together. It's a very special experience being with other people watching a documentary as opposed to, you know, making your dinner and watching on telly. Other things is that documentary is not one thing. No. You know, it's like, you know, books, you have magazines, you have fiction, you have uh, non-fiction, and nobody questions that. So documentary has lots of genres, for want of a better word, uh, lots of styles, and each of those styles has a language of its own. And it's so important that you get to speak that, you know, from reconstruction to observational to artists' essays. All those things are documentaries, and they're all possible for people to engage with. Yeah, one of the questions I was going to ask you is the difference between feature-length documentaries that you would want to schedule in cinema versus television documentaries. So, you know, when people, because obviously a lot of people watch documentaries on TV or, should I say, non fiction on TV in forms of. When I used to be a teacher, I used to always say, right, today we're going to watch a documentary, and the groans from the mm-hmm. people would always be audible. And I just think that documentary seems to have a kind of strange image problem, even though it feels kind of almost oh. elitist by certain people's minds. No, know, I know, I, I agree. Shame, it's a terrible obviously. word. It's a really bad word. <laughs> it is really unfortunate because they're just films. Of course. And they cross, as we just said, they cross a broad, broad church. I mean, you know, from being satirical to, you know, I don't know, as observational as you can get. Um, so we try to break through that. And I think to a degree that's occurred. And I think that is because of the popularity and growth of really cinematic, Docs that have been very successful over the last decade. Yeah. Because we at Doc House, we don't, you know, we're very happy about those films. Like, I just did a QA with Simon Chin, who made Man and Wire and The Imposter and Searching for Sugar Man. F- fantastic. Yeah. But <laughs> we're quite interested in doing something different. You know, you go to festivals, I go to festivals, I go to IDFA, I've been to Sundance, Hot Docs, and you see these incredible films, and you think, where, how will they ever get shown? And so what, we, what, what my mission has been is to pull some of those and, and to show those as well in, to audiences, and it's been really successful. I mean, people come on the content usually first time. Yeah. They'll come on the content and they go, oh my God, this is fantastic, we must come again. So on that uh, note then, um, you've got a new venture coming up, mm-hmm. right. would you like to, do you want to introduce it, the Bloomsbury? We are opening um, the Bertha Dockhouse screen at the Curzon Bloomsbury, which is opening on the 27th of March. Is that the first of its kind? 
It is absolutely the first in the UK, and we think it's the first in Europe, but we don't want to make that claim because we know there's one in Moscow, but I don't think there's uh, another one in Europe. Um, and it's an experiment. Um, we'll show new releases, we'll show the kind of films I was just talking about, we'll show shorts, we'll have events, um, we'll have masterclasses, and uh, we hope that we'll become a centre for all the other organisations in the UK, Sheffield, Dockfest, Brit Dock, etc, etc, to, to be a kind of hub at the cinema, because it's not just, it's quite small, it's a 60-seater, it's very good, it's very nice. Curse and Bloomsbury is going to be six cinemas, uh, the old Renoir, and what they've done is, if anyone knows the Renoir, it, it was a 60, big 60 cinema, and they just put a wall down the middle to make it two cinemas, which is very modernist. <laughs> and so what uh, they've done is taken out that middle wall, made the main cinema 150-seater, and then put in four little, what do they call uh, boutique, 40-seaters at the back. But then behind the screen is Bertha Dockhouse. Yes. And so what kind of films have you got? Are they, is it a secret at the moment, or is it...? We're going, we're going to open with three different films. Just kind of reminding that we want to show that we're a broad... Ch we're not just about campaigning docs or yeah. investigative docs or arts docs. We're about all those things. Best, the best ones. Okay. So we're going to open with a film called The Forecaster, which uh, is a UK premiere. And it's in the investigative mode, but it's, it's really fascinating, actually. It's about this guy, Martin Armstrong, who uh, created a system that actually predicted all the economic pitfalls, uh, like Black Monday and the Russian ruble thing, and, and nobody could ask, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he was very successful, he became a big name. But the FBI were very suspicious. And um, this, his story goes that one day they burst into his offices and took his computer and wanted his system, and uh, therefore accused him of a Ponzi scheme. And the film is about him telling the story of that. It's absolutely yes. mind-boggling, actually. <laughs> he can't think what's going on. And then, um, in the financial world, and then we have a very different film called Stream of Love, which is uh, by Agnes Soss and is um, shot in a tiny rural village in Transylvania. And they're all, all the people in the film are kind of over 80. Um, but the amazing thing is that they talk so candidly about sex. <laughs> and it's on their minds a lot of the time. And it's very amusing. But it's, yeah. it's very, it's heartwarming, but it's very insightful in that we make huge conclusions about what these people will talk about and sure. how their lives will be and uh, they're quite wrong <laughs> and I don't know how she got them to reveal some things so. and then the the third film Pisadores don't know if I pronounce that right Pixadores is how you do it easily and this is about a gang of graffiti artists in Sao Paulo in, in Brazil and they uh, are not just ordinary graffiti artists, they, are, they see themselves as a political force for uh, life in the favelas. And they climb concrete buildings with no roads, no, no anything, at night. And they do their graffiti at the top of the buildings and hope they do it in time to get away from the police who are chasing them. And it, it is 
And the amusing thing about that film is that they are invited to Berlin uh, as part of the Berlin Biennale to join with the sessions on graffiti. And I'm not going to tell you anymore, but it's quite surprising what happens. <laughs> so that's, that gives you an idea of yeah, yeah, the variety. The variety. And the only thing that um, is common to them is that they're very good dogs, that they're insightful and they show you a different world. Yeah. You said about short films as well. How do you, because I've only been starting against film festivals in the last couple of years, so obviously because they're just, since I've moved to London especially. Um, and there's a big difference in the fiction world between feature and short. It seems, but documentary seems a little bit more blurred because documentaries can be a variety of times. Dead keen to show documentary shorts. Good. Most important. Yeah. Because that's the breeding ground for young people and yeah, where you get young people to be interested in maybe looking at other films and and so it's really important that we engage with young people who are making shorts. And fortunately, you know, we can do that because of the technology. So sure. so I mean the whole the whole thing of the last decade about documentaries, I can go on <laughs> as much as I want, but actually it's technology that's made it happen because you couldn't have distribution of documentaries in cinemas when you needed prints. They couldn't afford it. We were in different financial categories. Uh, and as soon as you could digitally uh, distribute, then the world opened up. So yes, we, uh, one, of us, one of the DocHouse people is it's her sole job to look for shorts and make lists. And what we're hoping to do is combine shorts with a feature, so you see a short first and then right. film, and also to have shorts days, days where we just show, you know, events, uh, uh, slots where we just show six shorts. So yes, very very important to us. Okay. How do you do your uh, programming? Is you, are you the programmer yourself, or yes. do you have? Okay, do you? So what's your? Well, with 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 input with from my from my lovely staff. Okay, um, so yeah, do you have a certain thing that you particularly look for yourself? Do you have a personal kind of favourite style or subject matter, or do you try and yeah, pick? Do you try and think about who your audience would be and try and find films for them? Do you try and have an identity of your own? What's, what's your? There was a little bit of the picked that for the audience when I was showing at different cinemas because uh, the cinema itself, you know, if you didn't, if you only got 20 people in the audience, the cinema itself go, uh, yes. excuse me. So the great thing about having our own cinema is that we absolutely are released from that. We can show films that are difficult or that we want to show that maybe we wouldn't get 150 people to see. Um, no, I watch a lot of documentaries <laughs> from various sources and I watch everything that comes in. I mean I watch the, people send their films in and say could we have a duck house screening of this. I, watch, I go to festivals obviously and um, you don't have to have a particular point of view. When you see a great dog, it's a great dog <laughs> and you go yes uh, we must show that. That's really an important uh, work. Okay, because I wanted to ask you, because you've got, and just hearing you talk, you've obviously got such an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, documentaries, if you don't mind me saying so, it certainly sounds that way anyway. 
Um, but I'm just wondering, because like, documentaries for me feel like, uh, why they're so beautiful and powerful is because they have the ability to change perceptions on a grand scale. I, I mean, I know it's a very trivial example, possibly, it's still interesting, but one of the most engaged I've ever seen an audience was when I went to go see Fahrenheit 9-11 all those years ago. Wow. And I, everyone just went from the cinema, and in Odeon, yep. Saturday night probably, and we, everyone kind of drifted just slowly en masse towards the nearest pub and just everyone started debating it and fighting about it. Tony Tabatnik, who runs the Birth Foundation, is, is absolutely about films that will change the world. Right. I believe that films can do what you just described, which is they can engage you, you can become really interested in the subject and then go on to do something about it, to learn about it and change it. And that's an ideal world, I think. And one of the great things about showing docs in the cinema is that actually people engage and then go and discuss it with each other and that's yeah. an impetus for in, what we call impact of the film. And a lot of the films that the Bertha Foundation um, supports are films of that nature, with that intention. Um, the obvious one is the one that just won the Oscar, um, Citizen Four, yeah. which was heavily funded by, by uh, the Bertha Foundation. And I think that that's a classic example of people who maybe go, you know, general public who go, oh, these whistleblowers, and, or whatever. You can't watch that film and not be deeply impressed by Snowden. Yeah. He, he is a profoundly honest individual who genuinely wanted to do good. I think that's a very important film. It was very technical, that film. I was, I was impressed that they didn't kind of try and uh, simplify any of the legal issues and the ethics. It was just like, you know, this was the conversation in the court. This is the conversation that they, at the press releases. I, just, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I saw it at the National Court. Okay. Should have come to our screening. I should have. Yes, yeah. yeah. But the thing about that film, Oli, that's really interesting is that it's very, very well made. Yeah. I mean, really, Lara Quattis <clears> is really amazing because all she had was a guy in a hotel room, and yet it's really well constructed, and you, you know, it's it's very clever as well, but without imposing no. on observational material, you know, you you, uh, you get a sense of the whole, of being there. <laughs> the other film I thought was an interesting one was that kind of had a big impact, and again it's kind of an obvious one, was Blackfish. Oh yes. Because that has had real life consequences, you know, that, com that company that has had, well, quite rightly, I, I think, but you know, it's had a massive impact. Mm. So I think that only I think that's a unique place, the kind of document, the unique power that documentaries have, where they can kind of awaken the public, the beast of the public to... Absolutely, and, and Virunga is the other film that's yes. also been supported, which is exactly the same, you know, I mean, it, it caused um, terrific impact. Miners shot down, as, uh, about the, the South African miners being shot, it has had huge impact, yeah. and it's all well-made films, all great films, and I think the more... The better the film, the more impact it has. That exists on all kinds of levels, actually, because you can have a film about a family. You know, there's a lovely film called Displaced Persons, which is about a, um, a Scandinavian who married an Indian woman and then decided, when the teenage daughters were 17, to go back and 
to give his daughters a chance and it's a disaster. You know, he doesn't exist for a start and the bureaucracy and everything comes into play. So that's not going to um, make you want to go out and change the world or, or take your money away from uh, the mining uh, organisation in Virunga, which the church has just done, incidentally. Um, but it gives you great insight and tolerance and, and knowledge of the way people can survive and how they deal with issues on a much broader level. Like, these people are just like you and I. And yeah. All that which is, which is, in terms of tolerance and racial integration, so important, but quite small. Yeah, I, I think a wonderful film that you've got coming up, I had a browser website uh, this morning, is um, Village at the End of the World. Wonderful. And the, the, in, the wonderful insight there is there's a young, uh, I don't know how old he is, he's a teenager, yeah. and he's, you know, he's as obsessed with Facebook as we all are. Mm. It just seems like such a wonderful insight into this tiny little village. Mm. There's about 80 people that live there, and they're just like everyone else. They just, have, you know, they just live like everyone else. They just happen to have this very unique living situation. Yes. It opens your eyes. It, yeah. You know, broadens your understanding. Definitely. That's so important in our society, at the moment particularly. Yeah. So how would you expand if you were given an enormous grant from some enormous donor? <laughs> how would you expand? How would you, what would you want to see Dock House doing? I mean, you mentioned before about going maybe further outside of London. Oh, completely. I, Is there I, any specific kind of dreams that you have? Yeah, absolutely. I would really, really like to, if I had the grant, then I would like to show uh, a Dock House, have a Dock House section in my hometown, <laughs> which is Yorkshire, right. and in Newcastle and <coughs> Manchester. I, I think that would be. I think it's terrible that it isn't in all those in all those towns. And the, th the thing is, we actually did try very early on with uh, Cornhouse in Manchester and uh, Countryland together. But to get those things established, you have to really, really focus market it. You have to go, and we do that. We we've been doing that with our films to to date. You have to decide um, who might want to see that and really push it. And of course, the cinemas don't have time to do that. So with my funding, that was not a possibility. And the other thing I um, would love to have is a centre, not just a cinema. I'd like to have a centre with an archive of docs that people could access, um, a bar where people could hang out and chat, and a school, a place where you had, you know, six rooms with uh, a camera box and a Final Cut Pro where you could have people in and they could make dogs. So there we are, a shortened excerpt from my really interesting and fun conversation with Elizabeth Wood that at some point I'll transcribe and put on my website later for anyone wanting much more information about documentaries and documentarians. Please head to dockhouse.org for more information on the company and their new flagship venture, The Birth of Dockhouse Screen. I'm definitely going to be spending a lot of time there and posting reviews of the film, so keep an eye on crispysharp.co.uk for more info. And as always, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Podbean. I've got some really great guests coming up, like Rebecca Smith, the film festival doctor on how to get your first feature film noticed, short or feature, and Henry Barnes from The Guardian Film Show. We talked about like film criticism and digital media. So thank you for listening, and why don't you drop what you're doing and go straight to a cinema.